Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thank you, Father, that you are here amongst us. Thank you that you are already speaking. We recognise that this is, can be, might be uncomfortable for some of us, uncertain for some of us, healing for others. We pray that your ministry will continue to happen for our children as they're taught, as they're encouraged, as they're loved. And for us, as we gather in this space, in this time, whether in person or we're watching online, Father, we pray that you would just do your work. You're not restricted by time or space or distance. And we thank you for your presence. And we welcome you here into this conversation and to this teaching today. In your name we pray. Amen. One of the great gifts, one of the sacred treasures, and perhaps one of the most difficult about being in ministry, is the opportunity to sit with people in their most difficult moments. Um, I also get the opportunity to go four-wheel driving and eat ice creams. I thought I'd done something to upset you and I hadn't been invited back. Um, Um, so one of the great gifts is to sit with people uh, in their grief and in their loss and I've just got to jump in today because there's no other way to go about it it's not always easy or comfortable and I often come home from uh, meeting with people or being with people and over the last couple of years I often hung up the phone and thought Um, because you walk away from some of these conversations knowing that you have very little control or capacity to change a situation Um, actually, you wonder if you have any influence at all sometimes. And again, that's not for analysis, that's not for sympathy or anything like that, that's just the reality. And a lot of people in ministry would feel like that. And you would feel like that if you've sat with people in their grief and their hardship and their loss. So I just, I thought it's important to name some things, as difficult as it is. Uh, So I've I've sat with people uh, and families, parents particularly, perhaps the most uh, one of the first traumatic experiences was sitting with a family as they waited for a phone call from a police from the police, um, as they knew their son had been at a work breakup, and all of a sudden it was on the Murray River, and he was um, drowned after a party. And sitting there and waiting with that family um, for that phone call to happen. But I've sat with families, as many of you have as well, sat at their bedside um, as family members are dying, whether through age or through illness. Some have sat with families as um, they've been in shock uh, when loved ones have died by suicide. Uh, and there's, there's really no words for some of those experiences. I've sat with people as uh, they're going through or wrestling with divorce and, or struggling in their marriage uh, and, or struggling with um, what it is to raise children or how to get on the same page in raising children and 
difficulty in the conversations between husband and wife in what that looks like and the expectations around the home. I've sat with people who just feel stuck and raise enormous questions of faith and have this enormous sense of grief and loss around their faith because somehow faith isn't working as they thought it would be. Um, I've sat with people who are grieving um, their abusive partners, um, their abusive parents, their abusive grandparents. Man, that's, that's some kind of tough. That's some kind of grief and loss in those moments. I've sat with people as they run the, run the risk or uncertain if they want to keep their job or if they're losing their job or they're not getting the course that they wanted or they're not getting the score they wanted or the grades they want or the grades that their parents expect them to get. I've sat with people as they don't get the university selections that they wanted. I've sat with children who are frustrated, as I said, and hurt and angry at the way their parents are behaving or at the way their grandparents are behaving. <laughs> I've sat with people if they're not being accepted into sporting teams or just feeling isolated. I've sat with people and sat with them and I'd say cry with them, but sometimes more people cry with me than I cry with them. Um, uh, yeah, there's another thought there that doesn't matter. Um, the, the sense of the deep loss and grief that people have because they're not yet married. And, or they have been married and they're no longer married after a long period of time, but particularly for younger generations and the, the sense of expectation that they often feel about the, the need to be married still in this generation and the heartache that they're not yet married or don't have um, a significant other person in their life. Um, I've sat with those who have suffered the death of children and those unable to have children. And I continue to sit with people who have this sense of loss and isolation because of the mandates and their personal decisions over the last couple of years and the grief and loss that people are still feeling around that. So there's this personal grief and loss that we experience. But we also experience grief as a community, don't we? So often suicides will cause a, a community grief, an outpouring of community grief and uncertainty in that. The fires that have ravaged our country over the last few years and the struggles that people have to rebuild their homes. And on top of that, the floods that have gone through the northern part of our country. Another shooting in America where 15 innocent children are shot, where one member of uh, the white supremacy community or who's white just deliberately goes into a black community and just shoots black people randomly in a supermarket. People un unable to find somewhere to live. This is the lucky country. And the rates of people unable to find somewhere to live in our country is horrific. And the rates of homelessness in our own community, people couch surfing. Our nation's response to refugees, now some of these might not cause you grief or some of them might cause you grief or, and even anger. And even the struggle and the tensions that we have around the Indigenous conversation, the Indigenous treaties and our continued deaths in custody of our Indigenous people. Regardless of the cause, regardless of fault. So we have these community grief. And it's in these moments that we discover our limits. In these moments, we discover what we actually have power over 
how much control we have of things and circumstances and what influence we might be able to bear or not on difficult circumstances and on even in conversations with other people. We live in a world that's accessible 24 hours a day. You can go to university anytime you like. What a gift. <laughs> what a curse. You can go to university. You, now, because of our flexible nature and all that we've learned over the last couple of years, you can work 24 hours a day more so than you could do two years ago. And we see that as a gift. Now, in some ways, it is. The flexible workforce could be a benefit. But man, it's got some challenges and some risks about it too, hasn't it? 24 hours a day, you can be entertained. You can be at work. You can be watching news. You can be watch, uh, playing games. Or 24 hours a day, you could even be getting Christian teaching and going to worship 24 hours a day. Just click online. You can have it all. And all of it, I want to suggest, because it is so accessible, so available, so easy to do and get through life in 24 hours a day, all it means and all it serves for us is that we often rush through our grief and our loss. We're not very good in this particular culture because you know, we come from good British stock, most of us. And we're taught that we just tough, toughen up, pull the bootstraps up, get on with life. Tough it out, there's people worse. We say that stuff. We say that stuff. Pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and we fill our world with everything else that's on our devices or on 24 hours or that we can scroll through and we ignore our, and, or cover our own pain or we fill our lives with unhealthy routine, accomplishment or addiction whether that be TV, activity, and even good activity can be an addiction. Work, entertainment, alcohol, pornography, or medication. Whatever you want to fill up, you can because it's accessible. I read a book, I think it's called um, The Lost Art of Connection. And um, in it, the author unpacks the challenges of... Uh, medication for uh, depression and mental health issues. And I'm not, a, I'm not against that. I'm not, please don't hear me. I take medication myself. So please don't hear me say we should throw out all medication. But they raise the point that we are quick to subscribe and medicate ourselves rather than recognise the grief and the loss that we feel at times. If we're sad for six months, rather than dealing with what's causing us sadness and grief... We will be quick and asking someone to help us in that or navigate that. We're quicker at the moment to go to a doctor and be medicated for our sadness. It's an interesting and fascinating book to read. The Lost Art of Connection, I think it's called. But I think the, the challenges that we have around uh, ignoring or covering our grief and the way that we handle it is often because we are so afraid of getting sucked into a black hole that we will never come out of. We become so uncomfortable, have become so uncomfortable with expressing our grief that many feel isolated and disconnected. I can't tell you how many times in 20, 25 years of ministry I've had people say to me, I'd like to come to church but I'm afraid that I would just bore my eyes out and that would be too embarrassing. 
Some of that's from people who have kind of lost their way or stopped going to church or stopped being a community of faith. Some of that's from some people who are sitting in this room at the moment. On occasion, a few times a year, I'd say, I just needed to bore my eyes out. And I'd say, why didn't you? Because it's too embarrassing. Isn't that, a, isn't that a sense of disconnection and isolation that we've created in our own sense of grief and loss? And our lack of our desire and inability to be authentic. Because we would rather just fill it up. And sometimes we, as good as they are, and it's no criticism on today's service, but sometimes we like filling it up with the songs that make us feel good. Rather than move us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And our desire is that we wouldn't live falsely, but that we would be transformed in the name of Jesus. And to be transformed in the name of Jesus will actually mean that we navigate through our grief and loss and that we actually find a healthy way to navigate through our grief and our loss. Which actually means we surrender to our limits. Grief is loss and loss is recognising I'm not in control of everything. Grief is loss and loss is recognising that's my limit. That's all I have. It requires some humility. The word humility comes from the word to be grounded. It's an earthy concept. Humility, if you like, is not this falseness about, oh no, there's people worse off than me. That's not humility. Humility is not brushing off people when they say, well done and congratulations, that was a great you know, sporting event or it was a great uh, service or a great song or a great whatever you've done. It's, it's not humility when we say, oh no, no, it's not me, it's God. That's not humility. That's a false humility that we've been taught, but a humility that's actually grounded in purpose and in meaning and in richness that actually brings about new life. It helps us recognise and reminds us who we are and how we've been made. The story of Job is a fascinating story. We're told the story of Job as it opens up. He's God-honouring, he's blameless, he's well-respected in the community. He's quite wealthy, has 10 children. I think it has seven sons and three daughters, enormous amount of cows and horses and stock and enormous amount of wealth. And then we're told this. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. It's probably worth also saying that this, is, this comes out apparently out of a conversation between God and Satan. Satan, God, the angels return to God and the angels say to God, or God says to the angels, sorry, where have you been uh, roaming the earth? And God says to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Jacob, uh, Job? He's blameless and upright. Have your way in him. I mean, that's a, in my mind, and I don't know about your mind, but I struggle with that conversation as it's recorded because we struggle in the, because of the way that we think. Um, we don't understand. The Hebrews understood that um, God is responsible for everything and has power and authority over everything, even Satan. And so if this happens, then somehow I'm going to come back to God and God is my starting place <laughs> because that's all I've got. 
We, we struggle with that in our Western culture because we can go fill up our lives with everything else. So there's, there's one, you know, that's just one day when Job's son and daughters were having a good party. Now, we're also told earlier that Job would um, come and consecrate his family and pray for his family in case they sinned. It wasn't even if he sinned, it was in case his family sinned. I mean, this guy, he was, he was off the charts. He wasn't a Carlton supporter. Yeah. Um, are you okay, Olivia? You're right. Yeah. Uh, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fill, fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. I mean, come on. Really? And then another messenger comes. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. What do you do? Well, we're told Job tore his robes, covered himself in dust and ashcloth. Again, something we don't understand because you know, we keep ourselves neat and tidy, don't we? But how do you recover from something like that? See, you can't just pick yourself up again, can you? You can't just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. His wife actually tells him, says to Job, curse God, you may as well just curse God and die. Well, that's comforting. You may as well be dead. And it's probably true. That's how she felt. You just may, we may as well both be dead. If you're dead, I'm dead. That's it. They've lost everything that they knew and understood. Their friends come. And sit with Job for a period of time. And for a while, they did really well because they said nothing. And then they opened their mouths. Yeah? Can I, can I just hear a slight side note? Um, if you have a good friend who's going through grief, you don't have to know what to say. You don't have to know what to say. You might say, I'm sorry. I might say, it must be really hard. But even if you don't know what to say, show up. Don't go around with Bible verses. Not straight away. That'll come later. But go around, show up, make a cuppa. And sit and stare at the world. Pete Scazzaro says that the true... Oh, sorry, I've said that. Pete Scazzaro says, True spiritual life is not an escape from reality, but an absolute commitment to it. Loss marks the place where self-knowledge and powerful transformation happen. 
if we have the courage to participate fully in the process. If we have the courage to participate fully in the process. See, I don't think that any of us could sit here and say that grief is an unnatural part of our lives, could we? We have all experienced grief. Everyone from a young child to an elderly person, regardless of your age, has experienced grief. I actually loved, and I don't want to draw attention, but I think it's worth saying, I actually loved hearing a mum pick up uh, their son and all the son had to say was mummy. If we, uh, like, what a beautiful image of being able to come with God when all we can say is daddy. When grief is a natural part of our lives, we recognise and we come face to face with our limits. And our limits might be our finances, it might be our skills, it might be our time, it might be our relationship limits, it might be the capacity that we have, it might be our personality, it might be because we're married, it might be because we're single, because of our work commitments. We all have limits. And it's grief that brings us face to face with our limits. And we try too hard to cover them. We try too hard to spiritualise them. Make it all neat and tidy. And there are two extremes in this. There are, there are the extremes that hold on to these verses. And rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. True, yes. Great word, great encouragement. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. Again, a great promise, a great encouragement, a beautiful gift. Yeah, we would say that. Do you love hearing that when you're in the depths of despair and when nobody else seems to notice? No. I haven't met someone who's comforted by these words often when they're in the midst of their heartbreaking grief and loss, when they've come to their limits, when they've come to the end. It's a promise and you might look at it and go, oh, that's, I hope I get back to that one day. The other extreme, of course, no, not the other extreme is that we're always stuck in our grief and we never lift it up out of our grief. We've never dealt with our loss. We've never dealt with our pain. And so we just stay there. Oh, woe is me. And so we don't, we don't even accept these or move into these or mature into this. Because there is actually a promise and there's something that we've got to respond and acknowledge. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So, all right, firstly, there's a reality here. I don't know if you've captured this, understood this or recognised this, but there will come a time when you stop breathing. You're obviously not shocked by that. That's good. And the, the scriptures actually don't hide away from that. There comes a time where our physical life finishes. And sometime, often, most of the time, we actually have no control over that. Sure, there's things we can do to be safer. There's things we can do to be responsible. But there's times when we actually have no control over that. So don't be uninformed. There's going to, come, going to come a time where we are dead, but I don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, that's not dismissing it. So there is a grief that we need to feel, I think. 
Yeah? There is a grief that we need to feel. Ecclesiastes, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the suns, to be born and a time to die, plant and uproot, kill and heal, um, tear down, build, time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And in John 11 and in Luke 19, Jesus wept. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem in Luke 19, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. We have to somehow learn to hold these intentions. See, if our church, or the church, not, our, not just our church, but the church is created to be a holy people, a people who are set apart by God, then surely we could create a space and a place and environment and conversations where we are the safest people in the world to express this and experience this together without being embarrassed or without being afraid of what other people will think of us. What would it look like if our prayer, if our life groups, if our communion, if our worship is a place of laughter and tears, of celebration and silence? What would it look like if our quiet times, if our family times, if we actually acknowledge that and we celebrate it in our grief that somehow, God, I don't understand this. I don't recognise this. I feel the injustice of this. I'm overwhelmed by this. I'm angry at this. But God, but God <laughs> might be all I've got. God, I give you thanks for all that you have done on the other side. We celebrate all that we have been given, all that is enriched, and we can hold those two things together. We can participate in those things together. See, in life there are limits, there is grief and loss, there is celebration, and it's not one or the other. And there's some common defences that Pete Scazzaro highlights um, and unpacks a bit further about that actually prevents us from maturity. We actually deny the grief and the loss that we've felt. Except it will come expressed at some time. I, one image I have is of a whirlpool. And, and again, this is science lessons from Simon. So, you know, don't put too much weight on it. Um, you know, in a whirlpool, everything starts up the top and it slowly gets sucked into this vortex. Yeah. Now, what I've seen and what I've experienced myself, at some point, that funnel gets clogged and that's going to explode at someone somewhere in an unhealthy way. And you'll be dealing with a whole lot of stuff from 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago if we don't know how to deal with this grief or if we've denied this grief and we just let it get sucked into this vortex and it keeps spinning down in there somewhere and we just get on with life. It'll be revealed in some way. It might not be an explosion, but it will be revealed in manipulation it will be revealed in pride. It will be revealed in uh, falsehood and fake. We minimise uh, downplaying our, how we feel or how serious it is. We might blame God. We might blame others or we might even blame ourselves. I deserved it. I deserve it. I did it wrong. I'm a stuff up. You know, 
We blame people. They did this, they did that. And yet there are, might be other people who are responsible for that. Other people might have caused us pain or grief or loss or squashed in the limits. Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. There might be a time of being angry about that. Yep. And then what? We over-spiritualise. So we use scriptures as pithy sayings rather than deepening relationships. We intellectualize, so we just kind of rationalize it. Oh, well, you know, it's got to happen to someone. It may as well happen to me. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? <laughs> we get distracted, as we've talked about. We become hostile or we medicate. And medicate, I don't, it's not just about, um, as, as I've already highlighted, medicate is not just about going and get a doctor prescription. Medicate, we fill up our lives with everything else that will avoid dealing with the stuff that's happening in here. And it might be things we actually enjoy doing, but that's just easier to do. <laughs> What's your first response when you feel upset or when you're frustrated? Do this over the next week. When you get frustrated or upset, what's the first thing? What's your go-to? Is it the chocolate in the cupboard? Is it Netflix? Or is it just on your phone scrolling? And for something, you know, kids, you know, teenagers, if you're trying this, if you get frustrated at your friends, what's the first thing that you do? I shouldn't say just kids because I've seen some adults too. Ask God to reveal, what's the first thing in my life? Where do I first turn when I become frustrated or angry or disappointed or feel a sense of loss and limit? Where do I go? What are those things that I'm doing? Because this isn't about me, you know, I mean, we could unpack that, you know, there's another series in all of that. Whew, I bet you look forward to that series. Um, Pete Scazzaro again, we will face many deaths in our lives. The choice is whether these deaths will be terminal, crushing our spirit and life, or open us to new possibilities and depths of transformation in Christ. Good grieving is not just letting go, but also letting it bless us. What makes loss difficult is how much we invested our lives into certain ways of following Jesus, into certain applications of biblical truths, only to realise much of it was foolishness or perhaps even wrong. And that requires some humility, doesn't it? When we actually go, hmm, I might need to rethink that. <laughs> I love this from uh, John chapter 3. Jesus is starting his ministry. People are recognising Jesus. People start going to Jesus. And John says, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John knew who he was and he knew his limits. He knew what he was called to and he knew what he wasn't called to. He knew the sense of loss about recognising that his time was finished, his ministry was coming to an end and a conclusion, but there was something greater happening. 
when we know our limits, when we know who we are and we have peace and we don't have to prove anything, we don't have to compare anything, we don't have to judge anything, but when we know our limits and can hold them in the grace, the goodness and the expanse of God's love, we gain a new perspective. Because what we can understand and what we recognise is that God is all-powerful, yeah? We can say, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're recognised, and we can declare that God is all-powerful, he's working all things out for his good and for his glory, yes? So that's pretty huge. That, that's a huge concept, yes? But what we also, and sometimes we stay in that, and he's big enough to handle everything that we might want to throw at him, but he's also intimate enough to handle everything we want to throw at him. He's also personal enough. And when people will disappoint us and people will let us down. But death, whether that's physical, emotional or spiritual, is hard. It's tough work. And it is work. And as messy as Job's conversations are with his friends, we gain some insight. And again, we could go in depth. I just wanted to give you some highlights, write some notes, go and explore it for yourself, read the book a bit further. Um, but what we're given attention here is uh, from Job and the witness and the example of Job is pay attention. What's happening? Recognise what's happening. Recognise the external things as much as the internal things. Why am I responding like this? I thought I dealt with this. Didn't this happen two years ago? Why is this happening again? And what's happening in me now? Have you ever felt, there's been times the last couple of years where I thought, oh man, I thought I dealt with this. Come on. I'd rather deal with an itchy scar than an open wound. I'll let you digest that one. But pay attention to what's happening. We need to learn to wait in the confusion that is in the in-between moments. You know those moments where you, you, know, you know what's been, but you're not sure what's coming. Oh, that feels like every day. Embrace the gifts of limits. Okay. So there's a limit here, God. I, I, that's, that's where I've got to go. That's my stopping point now. More of you, Jesus, less of me. Um, Pete Scazzaro has um, unpacked, and you can look this up for yourself, um, the climb the ladder of humility. And again, I just want to say, be grounded in humility. Pete Scazzaro actually unpacks the 12 steps of St. Benedict's ladder. <laughs> and we're going to go into 12 steps now. No. No. Um, but essentially, step one is being aware of God. We know that there is God right through to step 12, where we are transformed by God. Now, which one would you rather? And sometimes to be, no, not sometimes, to be transformed by God, we have to bring the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> and let, and we learn from Job, let the old birth something new. If Job had held on to what was past and just moaned about what he lost, he would never see what God wanted to create in him. Job was transformed in the relationship with his father. He dared to cry, eventually cry out, Daddy, Father. When Job recognised his limits, he expressed his grief and he trusted God. He discovered the richness and the wonder of new life.
And the new life is a sacred gift that we're also invited to receive. In John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. So that's a promise that we can have regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our limits, regardless of our grief and loss. Jesus wants to make our home, his home with us. And we find our rest in Jesus. We deepen our relationship with God who is our refuge and our provider, our hope and our salvation. This is the gift of following Jesus as the one who is the way. See, death and resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, this is the story of faith. This is our story. We shouldn't be surprised by death. We shouldn't be surprised by grief. It's part of the story. And it's necessary for resurrection. It's necessary for new life. The sadness is so many of us live in the old junk. We're not prepared to recognise our limits or let it go so that we might be raised up into the new life that Jesus has in store for us. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is the story that sets us apart. This is a story that is one of hope. One where even through grief and loss and limits and death and overwhelming sense of despair, God is still doing something new. God is still bearing his goodness and his fruit, even if it's in the darkness of a seed being planted in soil for longer than we would care to acknowledge. And just in this time and in this space, I want to again invite us just to take that one or two minutes just to sit quietly and just invite God to minister to us. Holy Spirit, come.